0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avrom and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a topic that really shows up quite a bit. It's a topic uh, that shows up in people's lives, especially if uh, the families, there are parts of the family that are a little bit more religious and parts that aren't as religious. And it, it happens even more in, in families where they're both essentially keeping Torah mitzvahs, but there's a part of the family that they don't get it yet about certain parts of kashras that they have been taught are okay. And yet now, let's say, for example, let's give the classic example now of various uh, lettuce, uh, various vegetables, various fruits that that the evidence, scientific evidence, and kashras evidence, and has shown that it's a problem. I never heard about this. What are you talking about? And now there comes a situation of, of parents and children, uh, friends being invited to each other's house. And, and what you have now is sort of like a, 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 a period between people based on, And they, they, everyone wants to keep the right thing. Everyone wants to do the right thing and, 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 and keep kosher and, 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 and be social and be connected. And now you sort of are balancing one with the other. So um, there is a piece of a a page of the Talmud that uh, was given tremendous prominence about this question um, by Ramesha Feinstein's atzal. And we're going to get to that. But before we do, I'd like to just give you a a beautiful idea that I read yesterday. And it's in the... um, it's in our, uh, uh, the email. And this is from Rafux. Rafux wrote a saver called Tfilo Kehochosa way back in uh, the 1980s. And it's a classic about, uh, and it really was one of the, the those farm that were coming out in the late 70s and 80s where they were collecting all the laws it's actually a whole new way of doing halacha, uh, not from Shulchan Aruch, but by subjects and collecting all the great uh, the opinions and putting them in an organized fashion. Instead of having like a, a, a Shulchan Aruch where you would have, you know, uh, a, a huge swath, but these are the laws of Pesach, these are the laws of Purim, these are the laws, and having a book, these are the laws of Sfirah Saomer, and then having the basic uh, ideas and then with footnotes on the bottom, and, and that was that, that. has really been, in a way, the, 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 the great halachic thrust, uh, probably from the mid-late 70s. I think the very first book was probably Erev Pesach, Shechal B'Shabes, which was like a complicated situation. What happens when uh, Erev Pesach is on Shabbos? What do you do? And that led to a whole cottage industry of these books. And they got, all became thicker and thicker and thicker. And there were a whole bunch of books that came out on tefillah. I have one right here behind me. Ta-da! Yisrael, a whole book on davening. Look at this—a whole book on on, on on the laws of davening. It's Tovshot Samach uh, which would be uh, uh, you know 765 pages, right? Uh, all on the halachas of davening. Um, a lot more pages than you have in Shulchan Aruch. So these type of books. One of them was written by Reb about tfilah and then he came came out with another book on Kashrus. And um, he has nice Askomis. He was a Talmud of Shlomo And he deserves a lot of credit in sort of writing a Shulchan Aruch in this area of how to go to someone's house who doesn't keep kosher or not in the same way you do. And what's the proper approach to deal with that? Now, I'm not going to read from him extensively, but I do want to read this Vart from him, which I think is important. It's a very nice uh, question. We know we say, it's a Pesach we say in Benching every day, that we should find chen, we should find grace, they should like us, to be connected to us, and also seichel something that we have the proper intelligence, Elohim v'adam, in the eyes of God and man. Hmm, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Again, sometimes the two things go together. Sometimes they're different. Right? So he says the
1: following. He says
0: like this, that when you want to find chen by people, chen by God, you want God to feel that you have chen and chotov, and you want people to feel you have chen and sechotov. He says, it doesn't mean that everybody's applauding you um, um, and, and they think you're great. What it means is this. That, You really fear God. You are trying to do the right thing. And at one point, you're midaktik in all the laws of kashras, and they become harder to keep. They are difficult to keep, especially if you don't know if this is a humrah or if this is just something that that you should be doing. But you decided, I want to keep the laws of kashras, and I don't want to play fast and loose. But on the other hand, You want Torah to be something that people love and appreciate and you want it to live a life of Torah that it shouldn't cause friction. And how do you do that? You do that by explaining properly. Okay, the audio is... Okay. Is everybody... um... Is everybody able to hear me right now? Okay. If not, I'll switch to a different. Uh... Okay. Going in and out?
1: Okay. Um,
0: So, as Rafuges was saying that, yes, you, you want to be as careful and aloha as possible, but you also want to be able to explain properly to people what you're doing, and that they should not be hurt by what you're doing, to realize what people's feelings are, because right now he doesn't understand why you're doing this. That's the Mats. That's a beautiful shot. In other words, I want to, I, I, of course, I want God to know I, I, I want to keep the law and I'm accepting all these things about what I'm going to eat and not going to eat. But I also want to be Matzah. That's Matzah Chain Vesechodom, v'nei Elohim, and Adam. And that's something that um, the Chain and the Chesed really happens for people that are Urei Hashem Be'emes. And it takes a lot to know how to do it. It takes a lot of understanding of halacha and also understanding uh, people and understanding where they're holding, and that I think is what I would say the idea here is that this is an attempt to be mutzachen v'seichotov, bein elohim and that of course is not just only in Kashras. it can happen in many many situations where you you are trying to create shalom and yet you're trying to live according to aloha as much as possible. And you could probably have added hundreds of examples to the ones that we're going to be talking about. I think it is an important area of of, of life, and we need to be given direction on that sometimes. You can't just make it up because so often mistakes in this area lead to things which are extremely uh, uh, difficult, and it leads to situations that you're not able to easily fix. So, with that as our purpose, let's take a look at the piece of Gemara that uh, Ramesha Feinstein is going to use. So, here's a piece of Gemara in Ksuvis, uh, in and you would think that what does this have to do with anything, and you're going to find that in a minute.
1: Okay. Hahi there was
0: a woman. The shvua. Now how can women be chaiban Like anybody's chaiveneshvwa. You're in Besdin. You're in Bezdhan, and because of what you've said, we look in our rules, we know we'd like to believe you're telling the truth. There's evidence against you. Then there's this idea that we might believe you if you actually swear. If you take out the Sefer Torah if you invoke the name of God because that was the idea that people took the idea of swearing as something greater than their normal business dealings where they're not really swearing. But when they are put to the test where the business says, are you going to swear that this is the the truth? That would be your right to resist the claim and to say that you're telling the truth. Okay. So based on normal halachic principles, this woman who was in the Bezdin of Rova, the God of Ador, that was the situation. All of a sudden, Rava hears from Omrele um Bas Ravchista. <laughs> Bas Ravchista was Rava's wife. She was Ravchista's daughter. She was married to Rami Barchama first. Rami Barchama was Rava's good friend who died. And then Rava married her, Ravchista's daughter. So Bas Ravchista Rava's wife said to him, I'm telling you, she, this woman, I don't know what she was doing in the Besden. Maybe she was watching from her room <laughs> and she comes down into the Besden chambers or maybe after the case, Rava comes, you know, somehow she knew because the Besden was open, people knew what was going on. So she says to him, Rav, dear, um, Marlene, don't trust her. She's on a shvua. By her shvuahs don't mean much. I know. Okay, Rava convenes the Bezdan again. Of chara says, okay. Normally, in this case, Marlene could take a shvuah and she wouldn't have to. Um, she wouldn't have to pay. She would not have to be. She wouldn't have to pay. She would be off the hook. However, based on information that I know. I'm going to now let. Let's say Marlene was against uh, Joseph. Joseph, you will now take the shluah, which means he had the claim against her. Normally, a shluah means you don't have to pay. That's what we, people take a shua. Classic case, of course, is the case in say Parshas Mishpatim, where the uh, bailies, the people who are involved, ba- or, who are shomrim, who are watching objects, they take a shua to justify their claim. The owner says, "What happened to my stuff?" Well a, a thief came in the middle of the night and stole it. He did? I don't know if I believe you. you take a shua you're believed. That's what the Torah says That's the classic shua. You take a shua to ward off the complaint against you even though you don't, you don't have any accessory you don't have any other accessory type of evidence to show that the thief actually broke in. here the s goes to the other guy. The shuva goes to Joseph. And Joseph, you take the shuva that Marlene owes the money and she didn't pay you. So that's an unusual thing to do. And Rava did it based on what his wife said. Zimnin, a little bit after that, have Yasvikame Rafapa. They were sitting in front of him. Who was sitting in front of him, in front of Rava? Rava's greatest, one of Rava's greatest students. Another great name in Shaz, Raf and Rav Adabar Masna. Aisa Hahu There was a certain person uh, who brought a star in front of Rava. So Rav Papa spoke up to Rava. So again, what's the case? Kolev has a tainah against Yoshua. Kolev has a taina against Yeshua, the Yeshua owes him money, and Kolev brings a, a document, a star, showing that uh, Yeshua owes him the money. Amrelay Rafapa. Rafapa says, Um, look, I know Cullib's got the star. I'm not sure why he still has it, but I know. I saw that star getting paid up. I was there, I saw that Yeshua gave him the money. You don't obey the star of Priyahu. I saw him pay the star up. So Rova says to Rapapa Papa, Le, Ike by the Mar. Was someone else with you? Can you bring another person here to testify that you saw Yeshua pay Kolev up? Um, Amr really says no, I can't. Okay, Rav said Amr ikamar. I know you're testifying. You're testifying you saw the payment. That you saw Yeshua pay Kolev. Ein echad klumu. and eid echad doesn't mean anything here. You're eid echad. Eid echad that it was paid. Um, Amarle Ravada Barmasna. Ravada Barmasna was shocked. He said, Isn't Rav, uh, a story happened a, a couple weeks ago where your wife came in and she flipped the table? Rav is not as good as your wife? Rav Papa, well, he's a tzaddik. We all know what he is, and we all know, of course, he's the name that we mentioned whenever the Shas has ended, and he's all over Shas, right? Whenever we make us see him, it's Rav Papa and his ten sons. Rav Papa, Rav Papa. such a big balkhesed, a bal a person who learned day and night. So Rav is not like your wife? You should use Rav Puppa in the same way. In other words, you should use Rav Puppa in the same way to say that the shtar is paid up, and therefore, uh, Yeshua should be off the hook, or at least you should change. You shouldn't give Kalev the the the, the power to use the shtar. He should have to do, do something else with it. So Rava answered him. He said, "You're asking me about my wife and and Rappapa. is my student. But Bas Rav Chista Kimli Bigave. Bas Rav Chista, I know her. Kimli Bigava." I know her. I know I have a connection to her. Look, her pup is fine, but I don't have Kimli. I don't have this thing where I have this personal knowledge of his, his complete, total honesty, because it's not based on an experience of life that I've had with him. Hmm. So Rav Papa said, if that's what it's about, it's about living with someone and knowing them in such an essential way. So Amar Papa hashtadi Amar Mar Kimli Bigave, now that you said that Kimli Bigave, is milsa, it means something. Knowing someone in such an essential way really means something? That's what it means? It's like, it's, it's, it's an essential thing? So now, what would be Kagon Abamari? We call him Abamar, but we but if you look in the back of the when you make a and we say Abba Mari Bar Abamari, my son, Abamari, Bari, my son, he's Kimle Bigave. What would be if I was a Dian? He asks his Rebbe. And my son came to me and told me that Yoshua had paid Kholev, and he knew it. So, based on what you're saying, Quraneshtara Apumeh. I would rip up Kalev's star, and Yeshua would be off the hook. What says You really think that they would? You would rip the star? No, no. You wouldn't rip the star. What would you do? Starapume. What you would do is you'd say, even though well, Kalev has uh, got the star, but Kalev's star has been knocked down a peg. It's sort of like a star that he can't collect right now. It's like a star that's in, uh, uh, it's in isolation. It's a star that's in, um, in, uh, it's a, it's a star that is in the penalty box right now. It's not, we're not ripping it, but, uh, unless he brings something else, you now the star is going to be in abeyance. That's, what's going to happen. Okay. Now what do you, okay. Um, Rashi points out in the Gemara that um, what does it mean when you uh, when you rip a star up? Ripping a star up is pretty tough because remember, Kolev's star has got Bezdin's seal on it. Star chosum miyara Remember, if it's a document that has two witnesses on it, it also has a seal of approval of Besdin. That's almost like Koliv's got the money. And now, would you have ripped that star up? That would be like, that would be like you're ripping the star up completely. (laughs) Afuke Mimono, you're not going to do that. So, what he says is that, um, what he says, you're not going to rip it, but what you're going to do is, I'm not going to, he says, I'm not going to, uh, we're not going to use it, but we won't rip it. Okay. So, now, um, does that mean that it's that now Kalev is going to have to use a lot of effort to resuscitate that star? That is what uh, Rashi says. Uh, just to before we get to Rav I just want to show you the Teisves Teisves says that what this means is is not that uh it doesn't mean that the star is like in, in in limbo. What it means is is that if Kalev takes the shulah then Kalev would be able to collect from Yeshua. So it's neutralized it. The testimony of one person that you trust has neutralized it. Okay. It's uh, a very subtle difference. According to Rashi, the idea is that the star is basically, we didn't rip it up, but we're going to need a whole bunch of evidence in order for the star to work again, for Kalev's point to work. According to Tesis, Basically, what we have over here was, is that, well, uh, the star is now a star that will need Kolev to take a shvua for it to work. And if he takes a shvua, the collection happens on the basis of the star. That's the way Tysus learns the question. Now, which means, if you think about it, there's a level of difference between Tysus and Rashi. According to Rashi, the relative, the one person, the wife of Rav, the, the wife of Rava, has the power to really change the halachic reality here of what normally would happen. And Taisva says that a little bit different. If you take a look at Taisva, Taisva says, "Rav Papa, Kama Afili Yikar Bar Meaning, according to Taisva, the point is that you can take someone who usually should not be a testifier who usually is pusillatus, like a woman, like Rav by uh, the daughter of Rav and they now, because of what you know about them, have the din of an aid. Even though she's not a bas she's just as good as a regular aide. And that's what uh, Rav Papa meant when he talked about the theoretical case about him and his son. He said um, uh, that he's good enough even if he would be a relative, and I shouldn't believe him, but what I know about him is good enough to make him into an aide. Um, similarly, the case was with, um, when Rav Papa was, when Rav Papa was not able to um, get, uh, to influence the case, because uh, Rav told him, uh, you're not an you know, you're not, you're only an aide echad. All it meant was, it must be, says Rav Papa, was puzzled aedus as far as that case went, but if Rappapil would have been kosher he'd be just as good as uh, you know as a relative would be if you would believe him. The point is, Tos Rashi uh, elevates the the believe, what you how you believe the um, the relative, the person that you know the one that, let's tell it more better, begavo, that you have this relationship where you know essentially who that person is and you have this understanding, this connection. And Tysus also says, well, it can be just as good. That's the sukya Now, what does this have to do with our case? So now you're going to see the brilliance of how Rav Moshe Feinstein connects this. So I just want to show you the Gemara first, because otherwise we'd have a problem understanding what Rav Moshe is doing. Uh, the truth itself is really dramatic and important. And Ramosha wrote this, you know, and I've, I've talked about this in the past, that, you know, the, when Ramosha published this Juvis, they were in the 19, the late 1950s, 58, 59, I think 59 was the first date of publication, you could check it up. And then they started being published, I think, uh, from in the 60s and throughout, so we got you know, the volumes that were printed through Rav lifetime, and then the ones that were done posthumously afterwards. But this is actually something, as you see, he wrote in Luban, he, where, he where he was at rov, and he writes the following. He says, I was in Moscow in 1934, and I've been asked the following question. This is uh, 17 years after the Communist Revolution, and I can tell you from the history I know from my own mother that it was a very successful revolution in many ways in terms of what it did for the Jews there negatively. He says, in this Medina of Arabim, what do we have? we have um we have sons and daughters uh on their uh, on, uh parents eating by their children and um most of them most of the children are KOFER Bashem the and what are they doing they are totally not keeping. Judaism. They've gone completely over to the communist side and they are openly, brazenly not eating kosher, doing Averis, and therefore what that would mean is is that they have a situation of a nemona malisurim. We cannot really believe them anymore. Now what's going to be with the older generation? The ones that didn't uh, step in line with the communists, the ones like my grandmother and others that, that were raising children that had become um part of the communist system and and and, and, and got into that belief and what do they do? Lechel basar. Where are they gonna eat when they need it? They need it to be healthy, they have meat once in a while. And what about anything that was being cooked? Now you might say, okay, so they're gonna cook luxin. They're gonna cook um noodles. But okay. Now that you could say that even though their their son and daughter was cooking treif in it before, they'll give them the pot later, they'll give them the pot maybe the next day, and they'll cook noodles in it. And so it's only a eno benyomo, ano benyomo is pogum, and a maybe I should allow it. But that's only, he says, Rav if it's a bitvid where it just happened to happen, but if they're there every single day and every single day, the only way they could eat is with Caleb, their eno Benyoma. understand the the the, the non kosher children use the pots and pans, they wait overnight or they wait a day, and then they let the kosher guy the the, the parent you know uh, you know ramble into the kitchen and eat some stuff. but if that's happening every single day. Then that's like using Eno Ben Yoman every day. And on that, we don't have a heter of using uh, things that are Pogum. So, what what are we going to do for them? So, Ramosha points out again, Ramosha was young, but Ramosha says, at that point, I was Machadish. I I hope everybody can see it all right. if the father knows about his daughter, his daughter-in-law, then what sort of relationship does he have with her? Let's read it again. He knows her nature. How does he know her nature? He really knows it, says, Moshe says, And how does he know that what people really are? because you've tested it, you tested it, and you saw that she does not try to give you non-kosher. Why, though? She herself eats non-kosher. Another person wouldn't be able to eat at her house. That's a halach and shulchan that if you're choshed on a certain aveira uh, and you do it, you're not allowed, The person who knows that is not allowed to eat by that person. What would be the reason why the the old father is different than someone else on the street that would not be able to eat there? Mitam Shana wrote Silitzaro. Because despite the fact that she does not keep kosher, and she maybe thinks it's ridiculous, as Ramosha said before, they're co-from Bahashem, but she recognizes in an emotional level her connection to her father-in-law or to her father. Or it's not about how much she feels for her father-in-law. You know they're that type of person. Their tendency is they don't want to fool people. They don't want people, if you think about this, they just can't do that to someone else, despite the fact they think what's being done is silly. So if that's the case, So you could be so much And you could eat, if she's cooking meat for you, you could trust her. And if she tells you that this comes from kosher meat, and that she has got special kalim that she doesn't use for herself, and this is the kalim for Zaidi, the kalim for the father-in-law, you can trust her. Because Rav Moshe says, this is not called mnemonis. This is called believing someone. In Shulchan Aruch, we have halachas about who you can believe when you go to their house. Eid echon bi bi'isurin. But if that aid is losing his chazaka, the Gemara says in Giton, Eid echon nemen you believe every aid. Taisa says, how can men and women live together? Right? Rashi says, how? right? Because you, you trust your wife that she's being honest with you. So we know there's this idea of Eid echon in halacha, that you can believe one witness. Okay. One witness tells you something is us or a mutter, you're allowed to eat it. Because you don't, the person is a kosher person. How do you know anything different about him? But let's say you know something different about him. Let's say you find out that the person has, has halachic issues. The person is known to do this. He's been machal Shabbos even before Ezra, perhaps. And you've seen that. Well, then he's not Nehmon anymore. He's muxik he's to do the Avera. You can't believe him anymore. The Rambam says, if you don't know the person at all, then you don't assume at the worst. But here we're talking about a father, a, a mother, who sees what the children and the daughter-in-law is like, and they've seen them do those. Abeir. So halachically, in terms of nemonis, they shouldn't have nemonis. But it's not nemonis, Rav Mahesh says. It's called yidia atzimis. It's knowledge that comes from yourself. It's not that I believe you and I have no idea what you're saying. I know it to be true from myself, which Rav Mahesh says is like seeing it. Because you know that she's not going to lie. And now Rav Moshe brings our Gemara that we spent 10-15 minutes explaining. The Gemara in So what do you see? You see that normally you wouldn't uh, believe someone who came in. A woman who came in and talked about what was going on in the case of the Bezin. And yet, Rav did believe her. More than believed
1: her. Think about it,
0: Abshavada ain'tsvara lomer the Ravchista. Do you really think, in terms of Nemonis, he held his wife greater than his Talmud Rapa so clearly, as great as Ravchista's daughter was as being a righteous woman, it's not that he thought his wife was more righteous than Rapapa. In fact, he didn't say to Rav Papa, Rav Moshe says, look, I know how great of a tzaddik my wife is. Of course, everyone knew the whole world, had, had, he had a shame of being a tzaddik and a chosad, Rav Papa, and more than the Basa of Rav Chista. But he says the reason is, is because it didn't come from his own knowledge. It didn't come from his own experience with Rebobo, living with him day in and day out. I know you're a tzaddik, and I know tzaddikim don't lie. i got to believe you. But you know what? The biggest tzaddik in the world, you could be Moshe Ba'aron, and when it comes to Dine Mominus, you don't believe one Moshe in the Bezdin. That, why? Because otherwise, Moshe says, Oh, not a Otherwise. When Moshe comes in, you don't need any other witnesses. But uh, Yeshua comes in, you need another witness. Where do you draw the line? And everyone's going to say, I believe him. So therefore, when it has to do with nemonis, of course, if you're, everybody has a cheskiskashris. But even Joe Shmo, that you don't know, has a, a cheskiskashris like the biggest tzaddik in the world, who could be Moshe Rabbeinu. And you're going to need two of them. Rav Papa might be Moshe Rabbeinu, but you need another one in order to affect this case because that is based on Nemonis. You don't know it, as Rav Moshe says, Be'etzem. You don't know a Be'etzem. Rak mitzad because of the chazoka. But if you know the person because you know you have an intimate relationship with him, You know his customs. And as Ramosha says, you've actually experienced in your own personal life out of the Bezdin where you've seen it's almost been tested in normal day-to-day relations. And you saw there wasn't an element of lying in that. And that's not belief about someone. That's called seeing it and knowing it. And it's not based on the Chazaka or what everybody... And you don't deny that all the stories of Repubba are true, but you didn't experience them. And he knew that Repubba was an Ishnemon. But <laughs> that's just like Moshe and Aaron. And that means he's only one person. Okay? And he says, even according to Tosfas, who quotes a different interpretation, it's still showing you the significance of, nemon- of, of, of knowledge over nemonis. And then he quotes the Rambam. And we've I I actually quoted this Rambam three years ago in a Chuvasaposcom shir. Uh some of you might remember it. Um I have it right here.
1: Um, I have the, uh, the Rambam right here, and you can see. The Rambam says that, um, look at the way the Rambam explains Argamar that we just did.
0: Says, Normally, Besden, of course, only punishes based on knowing. They have to have real uh, witnesses. Um, and they have to really see it in order for punishment to be meted out. They can't assume what happened.
1: However, it says over here,
0: but when it comes to Diné Mominus, not when you're punishing someone and giving them macos, giving them lashes or killing them, there, you are allowed to use what your mind tells you is true. And if there's something strong in your heart that you know is true, you do it, even though evidence has not been submitted. Especially if you've seen it yourself, you know it. He says, what's the case? And he gives our case, except he leaves out the names. Someone is Chayyib Shvu and Marlene, and someone says to the Dayan, that was the, the Ravchista's daughter, Rav's wife, Nemanetzlo, and you, and you trust that person, and you depend on that person, and that person tells you, Marlene, or this, Ramam says a man, but it's obviously the Argamar's case, that that person you shouldn't trust because they lie, the Dayan can switch the Shvuah, as we said, on Joseph. The And now Joseph will be able, which is not the standard halacha, will be able to make the shua and swear. Because the dayan says, I trust the daughter of Hista. Rava trusted that. Even if it was an Isha, and that of course is the story of, of Rava's wife, or an Eved who you wouldn't accept as a witness. Why? it's strong, it's alive, I, I'm going to use it, and I'm going to make this psak. Especially if he knows it from his own knowledge that this person is a liar. And then he brings the case of Rav Papa and the, the theoretical case of Rav Papa and his son. If there's a shtar chov, Like we said before, Kalev brings out the Shtar against Yeshua, and someone tells, like the son of Papa, tells him, that that Shtar has been paid, even though he's a relative, and you trust that person, you have the right to say, Yeshua, Kalev, you're going to have to take a Shvua to get the money from Yeshua. Now, and the Rambam gives other examples where you know something to be true, you don't need the normal rules of evidence. So why does the Torah say you need two witnesses then? <laughs> so the Rambam says, because that's when you don't know. That's where, where you don't know. You don't know what they're saying is true or not. So two people are enough. And therefore, but if you know it without the two people, even with one person, you can switch the din. Now that's only, this is called umdana, what you know to be true. But when later, past the time of the Talmud, when the batei dinim weren't as strong, even if you want to say that they are technically following halacha, but they don't have that level of expertise and wisdom of the previous generations. So there was an agreement that all but Butte Deenum had, wherever they were, that we aren't going to do this type of flip unless we have real evidence. We're not going to rely on our wives or people that we know or some sort of other than... Other than the... Uh, other than the, other than, um, the people, uh, unless it's the proper methodology. If it's not the proper methodology, what's usually done, the proper methods, we, we can't allow this, because even though it was true in the time of the Talmud, we've decided to hold off on that. And therefore, and we're not going to say if a woman comes or someone else comes, then we're going to flip the shua. Don't use your own knowledge. Don't use what you respect other people, and don't use even your own individual knowledge. Let the let the case happen normally, because otherwise, even non-qualified people are going to say, "I believe it," and we don't have to rule according to the normal uh, uh, precedent, and we don't want that to happen. But he says that if you are a judge and you're found in this situation. Um, what you should do is, and you know, based on your, what you've heard that the other party shouldn't be trusted, you should try to stall the case. And you should try to discuss it with the people involved. Maybe you're going to be able through Besden procedure, you're going to be able to get what you know to be the case that these people are lying. And maybe through your, your questioning, you're going to be able to get the result, you know, in your heart. But if you're not able to do that, um, then you should probably recuse yourself from this case because it's not going to work for you. Because you know this other person is lying. You know about it. You've heard about it from your wife or something else. But you're not allowed to process this because this is a, this would be an issue. So the Rambam says what you should probably do is probably just get out of the get out of the frying pan, get out of the fire. <laughs> um, right. Okay. So that's the Rambam. So Rav Moshe, if we go back to Rav Moshe now, quotes this Rambam and says, the Rambam is basically agreeing with me. He says, look at the Rambam. So you see that if you know what's going on, um, that's like you, that you know what's happening. It's not Nemonis. So therefore, Ramosha said everybody in the Gemara Inc. Suvas was talking about money. Let's now apply it to our situation in terms of getting food from someone. Someone who normally, in terms of mnemonis, you would not believe him. A person on the street would not be allowed to eat at that person's house. That's someone you don't know, but someone you know their ins and outs. You know what they're about, and, they, and, you, and you recognize about them. That, even though they themselves eat non kosher, they don't lie to you either to anybody or to you they have a special relationship to, you can believe them because that's like
1: knowing it And then he says, but he
0: he makes sure to say." that even though the Rambam says we don't do this anymore, we don't do this in Besden because we don't want Besden to uh, uh, to evaporate. We don't want Besden to become the Wild West. But this is not Besden. This is not about money. This is about being able to eat at someone's house. So Beshah For especially we're talking about people who don't have much other options. You can be Mako as long as the parent knows that what's going on in terms of the nature and the minhagim, and that isn't just I trust you because I looked in your face. It's because we have a relationship built over time. Now, the Revelation says over here with Nisio note, there were situations in life where I saw I could trust you. There were situations where I wasn't sure and then I saw, I discovered that you do always tell the truth to me. If that's already happened, Again, one is based on her nature, his nature as a person, the way they act, but he also says, Rav Moshe, it's got to be Be'ezin nisyonos. You've actually had, you know, it didn't start that way, but they showed you in a number of cases that you could believe them. If that's the case, then Rav Moshe says you can eat from what they cook, and if they say it's kosher, you can believe them, However, if it wouldn't be a Shaz HaTchak, if it wouldn't be a situation where we don't have no other option, or we're talking about healthy people who can get away without eating meat, they can eat raw vegetables or something else, then I wouldn't give this psak. So this Chiddush of Ramesha, and again, that's why I say from, Imosha, Imosha, from the Rambam to Ramesha, is basically allowing parents and children. And it can obviously go the opposite direction. In Malaysia's time in 1934, the, the question was was that direction. It went from parents uh, to, ch- it, was, it was parents not trusting their children. Um, in our times, we have the, the, the reverse situation. Children and parents. And uh, just to show you uh, an example of it,
1: This is the third Moshe, of Moshe Sternbach. Okay. It's loading, loading. <laughs> okay. Um,
0: where it's a father wanting to eat by his son. Right, about that wants to eat by his father. And his father tells him that
1: I will get you kosher meat. Can you eat there?
0: Are you able to eat by your parents? You know that your father is not keeping Shabbos. And the father was the one who had stopped keeping Shabbos. Right, this is the third generation. The first generation were from. Right? The second generation left from Kite. Now the third generation becomes from. Can the third eat by the second?
1: Um, and we know that when it comes
0: to uh, Chil Shabbos, uh, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch is very clear that you can't believe somebody and eat at their house if they're a Machal Shabbos.
1: So, therefore,
0: maybe, since you don't believe him, how do you know that he's, that he has the mahadran meat for you? Can the son believe the father? The son tells Rav Sternbach that I trust my father. Even though he's not, he's not religious, he's a chavshi, as he calls him. I know he's not going to do this to me. What's the
1: Din taira? And Sternbach says,
0: where I'm living now, this is a very important question. Look what he says here. The question is Drome Africa, in South Africa, where he was the Rav of Sternbach. He, he, he was a rabbi in South Africa for many years before he became Terence to, to become the head of the Ada Haredes. He says, in South Africa, I think especially it's, it's a difficult question because to buy. Kosher meat, which is really, I guess, what he feels is technically really kosher, is much more expensive than the normal meat. He says, we only do the real uh, uh, mahadran shchita two times a year, and and the price is very high, and it's, it's hard to get it. So therefore, can you really believe the father that he that he bought this mahadran meat and that he's cooked it in special kalim? And the son says, it's really going to cause
1: hatred and pain if I do this.
0: So Rav Sternbach gives a uh, a psak to try to allow it. Rav Sternbach's psak is a little bit um, uh, homer. Let's take a look what his psak is. He says, if the father has arranged that all meat in the house comes from the Mahadran Shkita, he has no other meat, um, then he doesn't want to be discovered as a liar when his son will find meat from someone else. So since he wants to retain a good relationship with his son, if the father promises, and he actually does bring only that meat, even though he himself doesn't keep Shabbos, but he tells his son that's what he has in his house. So Rav Sternbach gives a kuva. If, however, the father eats other meat, but he happens to say, when you come, son, I take out the meat from this other section in the freezer. So there he says, then you can't trust your father. Why? Because you see, he doesn't care about keeping Shabbos. So, and in his mind, he might think that if it has the regular stamp kosher, that's good enough. And we know it's very expensive to get the real kosher meat. He might say that it is Mahadran meat, even though it's not. So, he says, if when the sun comes into the house, he sees that the meat that was prepared from still has the sticker on it that says, Kosher you don't have to assume that he somehow switched the meats. You don't think your father did that. Also, he says that you should probably, um, uh, when the food is cooking, you should probably, you yourself, do some of the cooking so it shouldn't be like a Machal is cooked for you. Because the Aloha is, if a, a Machal is cooks for you, In halacha, you're not supposed to eat that food. So therefore, you should help in terms of the cooking. But if you see that the father has made the house technically a kosher meat house, you don't need to see everything. You you can believe him that he doesn't have any other meat there because he doesn't want to be found out by you. And even though when the father goes to restaurants, the father eats non-kosher, he says, look, for, for you, son, I want us to be bishalom. When when you come to the house, because I want you to come to the house, I've turned my house kosher as far as that concerns, and you know about your father. So therefore, he says, in that case, you should be able to believe your father. We don't want to have a lack of shalom. So that would be the way. So he actually, as you can see, he takes Rav Moshe's um, basic approach and he gives certain limitations to it. Um, it definitely seems to be inspired, as the next paragraph is, from Rav Meisha, but toning it, uh, fine-tuning it, so to speak, in, in such a way.
1: Um, just let's end off with uh, this point. Um
0: I don't know if this was from South Africa or not. It might have been. What about you have a Baal who's keeping Shabbos, and now he wants to keep Tyrus HaMeshpach, and he's married. But his wife, at this point, has not yet become from. In fact, she doesn't even like what her husband is doing in terms of being from. She laughs at him that he's not keeping Torah. But she says, look, you want to keep this type of life? I'll do it for you. Not for God, but I'll do it for you. And she says, look, when, you, uh, when you're in the house, I'm going to keep Shabbos. And since we're living together as husband and wife, I'll keep the laws of Nido. So the person came to her Sternbach and said, can I trust her? I know who she is. I know in my heart that she's not going to lie to me. I have this relationship with her. But But can I live with her? And Raf R- R- Sternbach knew that if, if he doesn't allow this for them to live together, then there's going to be a problem. They won't even be able to, to stay together be Yichud. Because if she's not believed that she's keeping Tyrus Samishbaha, <clears throat> the only reason why you're allowed to have Yichud with your wife Wazanita is because eventually she'll be Mutter. But a woman who is not eventually going to be Mutter, because she's not keeping Tyrus Samishbaha. You don't have that eventuality. And therefore, if Sternbach says, if I don't allow them to live together, they're going to have to get a divorce because they can't even stay together. So what are we going to do in this case? If she does tshuva, it's something else, but she's not doing tshuva yet. She's just saying she's going to keep it. And the husband is saying, I know her, that she won't lie to me. But Rabbi, give me the p'sak. What should I do? So he says, he says, I tried to find trufa. I tried to find a resolve for her, something that can help her. And then, where did he turn to? The tshuva from Ramesha, from the other Ramesha, from Ramesha Feinstein's Tzatzel. And he brings the whole tshuva down. So first of all, he says, I read the tshuva of Ramesha, but I have a problem with it. I need Toma." What happened over there? All that meant was that <laughs> that Rava turned the case around, but not that he believed a hundred percent that his wife was right. It's enough that, in the case of Marlene, Marlene now is subject to the s that Joseph was going to take. but did Ramesha have a right to say? that you can actually believe a Machal Shabbos to be Mako? So Rav Sternbach has a problem with Rav Moshe's Raya. He says, even if you want to say Rav Meisha's analysis is correct in the Gemara, and his sources from the, from the Gemara, from Rashi Taisas and the Rambam are correct. But all you see is that in those cases, money wasn't extracted. What you see was in the cases in the Gemara that we switch things, that the Star can't be used. Okay, the star is put in abeyance. Halacha changed, but it wasn't enough to actually say, we don't even need halacha anymore, and just take the money. That's not what happened. He still had to take a shvuah, Joseph. So therefore, are you going to now use that shuvah, that raya from that gemara, to to allow a machal Shabbos to tell you that that the food is good? So R. Sternbach found another Gemara in Zuvis. Sternbach finds another Gemara in which is a famous Gemara. Which, of course, we all know that a woman is believed to remarry after her husband is lost. If two Adam come and say he's dead, two Adam say he's alive. She's becheskas isher that she's an ashes ish. But we have Adam going one way, going the other. We allow her to remarry based on her saying. The Gemara says, I know my husband. He would have sent the message. He would have been back. If he's alive, he would have been here. And her knowledge of her husband's activities is enough for her to be allowed to remarry. So that seems to be a case of similar, of Ish, a case of an Isra Kores, a case of an Isra Skila, and we allow her. So he says, you see that it could work. But, so again, Rav Moshe said it, but he doesn't like Rav Moshe's proof. Sternbach finds his own proof from a different Gemara. And he says, but I want to tell my Bauchuva friend, you can be mako and stay married, but she needs to know what it means. Do you really trust her? without any doubt, you need to tell her what it means to do ty- to, to, to keep the laws of Nida, the type of checkings, the way it needs to be done, the way you need to check on the first and seventh day of, of counting the seven clean days. She needs to show you the medica cloth. And if you see that she's doing it properly, like Moshe himself says with Nisayon, then, and you see she's doing it right, So he says, like you see how careful he is to let him stay married with his wife and stay living with her. But then he reverses himself. And he says, in the case that he brought from, from about the two witnesses and the wife who gets remarried, first of all, she's got two witnesses who says he's dead. Secondly, She's going to pay a terrible price if he comes back alive. Here she is remarried to someone else. Her children are new children are mam's heir. So that is something that strengthens why she's allowed to get remarried. You don't have that in this case. Therefore, he says like this, and then he says, we know that you're telling me you trust your wife. You know her. But the rabbis say to be worried about trusting yourself. Even if a person is expert in saras, he's not allowed to look at his own nega, a kohen. And therefore, he says, since you're already living with her, kosho le'yaprisho, umemar lamina, you might be convincing yourself, the man might be convincing himself that, he, that she's trustworthy. You're already living with her. You don't want a divorce. You do want to stay with her. You want to believe what she's saying, and you might be fooling yourself into thinking she's more honest than she really is. And therefore, he says, if you don't have real experiential evidence to show that how trustworthy she is in this way, he says, I don't really think I have enough to allow this. Even if we're dealing, and especially, you know, we know, I know you're a Baal and I don't want to stop this process from happening. But, but I have to be honest, Rav Sternbach says, I don't know if I can allow it. And he says, even if you tell me that you've tested her and she showed it and she showed you the cloth and she showed it that this, and you saw her going through the process in other ways and in this ways, he says, I'm afraid to be machria. I, I, I want to hear even bigger Gadolim what they have to say about it. So, Kibalevich is going to tell you that, again, we, we might want to think about this case. <laughs> what would Ramosha have said had he been alive to Rav Moshe Sternbach? Would he have said that he should be Mako? Obviously, Ramosha is talking about fathers and sons, uh, people in Russia, uh, different situation. But yet, you see that this is really part of a bigger thing, and you can see that it's much more. About who you're eating by and you really have to use that in terms of, of determining what was what is the greater greater good um, okay so thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode